Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. So a couple of summers ago, um, my wife and I, we went to Colorado for a vacation, and somehow we ended up in Aspen, Colorado. And uh, if you don't know anything about Aspen, Colorado, um, I did not belong there. It's like one of the wealthiest cities in America. I was reading online, and you know, anything you read online you can believe, right? Um, but something like 50 billionaires have property in Aspen, Colorado. I mean, it's just, it's a super wealthy type of place. I immediately felt out of place, right? And so we went shopping and through the little town one day, and we walked into this one little store, and I promise this is no word of a lie, we walked in and they were selling a mammoth skeleton for over a million dollars. And I just had so many questions, you know? Like, uh, are people in the market for mammoth skeletons? How do you go about buying one? Is it an impulse buy, you know, close to the register? You know, I don't know. Uh, How do you get it home? Does it fit in the minivan or the Suburban? Just so many questions, right? But I was pretty blown away. I've never seen that before. We went to another store right next door. uh, It was just a clothing store. That's all they had was clothes. And so we were looking around and and I found this t-shirt, just a a t-shirt. And I liked the t-shirt. I didn't love the t-shirt. I liked it. I didn't want to take it home and raise it and send it off to college or anything like that. I liked the t-shirt. I looked at the price tag and it said $750 for a t-shirt, $750. And I thought, surely there's a decimal in the wrong place somewhere, right? I shop at TJ Maxx and places like that. Anybody else with me? College students, I know you're with me on that. Uh, And so I was like $7.50, I'm good to buy it for that, not a penny more. Uh, but $750. And so I called uh, the, the lady who worked there. I was like, hey, can you help me understand what's going on with this t-shirt? And uh, she's like, yeah, that's a, it is $750. In fact, that's a good price for this t-shirt. And she said it with a straight face and everything. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And she, she started to explain to it. And, and what she did is she reached inside of the collar, grabbed the, the tag, and she pointed at the name that was on the tag and said, this is why it's so expensive. The name that's inside, that's where all the value comes from. And it just kind of hit me in that moment that this is a perfect illustration or a perfect picture of, of this very normal, very average looking t-shirt that just carried this enormous value simply because of the name that was on the collar, right? And so I know that today in our world that a lot of people struggle with seeing whether or not they have any kind of value, any kind of worth, any kind of dignity inside of them. And today, maybe what I wanna show you very simply from this passage today is that you have value and worth simply because of whose name is on you. And if that's true for you, it's true for everyone around you, right? That's what we'll see today. The past few weeks, we've been uh, in this series in Genesis. We've looked at the story, uh, the event of Noah and the flood uh, for the last two weeks. The story runs from Genesis chapter six to Genesis chapter nine. And what we've seen over that time is a very familiar story that you know, that God uh, looked at the earth that he created perfectly and sin had corrupted it to the point where God says, I've had enough, I'm going to wipe uh, creation off of the planet. 
But you know, that it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, that Noah was a blameless man among his contemporaries. He walked with the Lord. That's what the story tells us. And so God decides to um, spare Noah and his family and kind of reset creation in some kind of of way. He sends the flood and the flood we talked about, how that represents the judgment of God towards sin. And that's true, but it's also more than that. Like it's, it's, yes, it's judgment towards sin, but it's also salvation through the judgment. That's what you see in the flood, that all throughout the story, the purpose of the flood is to cleanse the earth and to start over, make a new start. It's really a recreation story. If you look at the details in Genesis chapter six through nine, they, there's a lot of similarity between Genesis one and two and the event of, of Noah. It's almost as if God is pushing the reset button on creation in this story. But even though it's a story of judgment and flood and uh, sin being wiped out, it's also a story of mercy. Like God looks at Noah and says, you're a blameless and righteous man, and because of you, I'm going to just hit the reset button instead of entirely wiping everything off. Genesis chapter six, verse 14, we see mercy of God whenever he says, hey, make an ark. And how this ark is this, this salvation vessel in the midst of the judgment. Um, Genesis chapter eight, verse one. I think is like the main verse of the, of the whole Noah flood story. Uh, all of the details kind of mirror perfectly on both sides of Genesis 8.1, which says that God remembered Noah, which doesn't mean that God has somehow forgot Noah. God is incapable of forgetting. It's a way of saying God was faithful to Noah. So we see the mercy there. We see in Genesis chapter 8, verse 23, that, that Noah and all those who were on the ark, they were saved, right? And today what we're gonna see in Genesis chapter nine is we're gonna see that God is gonna make a, a promise to his people and it's gonna show us that, that human beings are the most precious thing in all the world to him. Human beings are the most precious thing in all the world to God and that reality affects how you and I live and interact in this world. That's what we'll see. That's what we're gonna talk about. Before we read our passage, I want us to pray and ask the Lord if he would speak to us this morning, and so I'm gonna pray for all of us, and you just take this moment and simply pray this, God, would you speak to me now? Let's pray together. God, we, uh, we come before you, and uh, we recognize your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy that you have for us. And we stand in awe of you and who you are, and as we open up your word, God, I ask that you would speak to us. There's nothing that I have to say that would, that would do any good for anybody but your words bring life. And so God, I'm asking that through your spirit and through your word that you would speak to us in a way that only you can and that we would have hearts and eyes and ears that are open to you, receptive to you, and that we leave here boldly following the things that you put in front of us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter nine. We're gonna pick up in verse one. Keep in mind, Noah and and his family have gotten off of the ark. God has saved them, and now we're gonna see uh, first in verses one through seven, you're gonna see uh, the command of God. In verses eight through 11, we'll see the covenant or the promise of God for us. Let's read Genesis chapter nine, verse one. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That sounds like Genesis one, doesn't it? 
Verse two, the fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you as I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from any animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed for God made humans in his image. That's a big statement. That's where we're gonna focus in just a moment. God made humans in his image. Verse seven, but you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Now we see the promise of God, verse eight. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I will establish my covenant with you that never again, will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at this passage and we're gonna start with that promise that God makes in verses eight through 11. And then we're gonna look back up and see what does this mean for our lives? What are the commands? What are the implications of this promise? And we'll see that in verses one through seven. So first, in the covenant or in the promise, we see that God creates life. God values life. Life belongs to him. A covenant, that word just means promise, all right? And so God makes this promise to make this completely new start with his people and creation. That's what you see in verse 11. Essentially what he's saying is this, I promise to establish life and protect life. God says, I promise to establish life and protect life. There's some interesting stuff that happens here in this covenant because covenants run throughout the Old Testament. It's mentioned like 200 something times in the Old Testament, that word covenant is. And covenants are usually this binding contract, if you will, between two parties. Um, there's usually some kind of agreement that both sides make and both sides have an obligation to uphold. The big ones in your Bible are the covenants he makes with Abraham, uh, Moses, David, um, and then you get into the New Testament, you have the new covenant in Jesus, right? And so there's usually this two-sided thing that's happening. They're also usually sealed with some kind of visual sign that serves as a, as a reminder to both sides, both parties of their obligation to uphold this promise or covenant, right? Uh, the, the covenant that he makes with Abraham is sealed with the sign of circumcision. The covenant that he makes with Moses is sealed with the sign or the visual reminder of the Sabbath. And then the new covenant in Jesus is sealed with the Lord's Supper, right? And so we have these reminders, we have these signs that's happening, but this covenant is, is different in this way. God is taking all the responsibility. This covenant is not two-sided. There's no, there's no conditions placed on man. It's what you would call an unconditional covenant. There's no conditions placed on man. Even the sign, the visual uh, reminder that God places is the sign of the rainbow that he places in the clouds. And he says, when I see it, I will remember the covenant. This, this covenant is all on him, right? Which again, it tells us that God creates life. He values life and life belongs not even to us necessarily, but life belongs to him. And it tells us that this covenant 
this promise to establish life and protect life is in no way dependent upon our faithfulness. And that's a very good thing, right? Why? Well, because humans are still sinful. God even says that in chapter 8, verse 21. God knew that humans were still sinful. I told you two weeks ago, there are three things that got on the ark that day. Noah and his family, the animals, and sin. And as you keep reading past this moment in Genesis chapter 9, you're going to see that sin takes root again and grows and festers out of control. Even just in the story we're going to look at next week, we're going to see kind of this pinnacle moment of sin has reached its apex again. And all throughout the Old Testament, that's what we see. And over and over again, we're pointed to the fact that sin reigns in every heart of every human being, and you and I are in great need of a Savior. That's what it shows us. And then you turn into the New Testament and you see Jesus steps into the picture for the very purpose of bringing new life. What you and I could never fully grasp on our own, this, this idea of perfected life, he came to bring it. He came to bring life. In fact, that's what he says in, in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come so that you might have life and not just a little bit, but life in abundance or life to the full. See, our sin separates us from a holy God. You and I are sinners, and I know that you feel it, right? I don't even have to really illustrate that for you. Just turn on the news or, or look inside of your own heart. You know that we all deal with sin. So Jesus steps out of heaven. He steps into the brokenness of our world. He lives a perfect life that you and I can never live. He goes to a cross. They sacrifice him as the one-time sacrifice that your sin and my sin demands they place him in a tomb because he's dead. Three days later, he walks out of the tomb alive. He ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father because Hebrews tells us the work is done, right? And so that's the good news of the gospel. And whenever you and I recognize our deep sinfulness and we recognize our need for a savior and we cry out to him and say, God, would you save me through the blood of Jesus? Would you save me? I'm yielding my life to you. You are given new life. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? So this is the promise. This is the promise of God that he establishes life and he protects life. What you see is life is a really big deal to God, ultimately seen through the cross of Jesus. And it's through those two things, this covenant with Noah and through the, the ultimate death of Jesus, God is saying human beings are the most precious thing on earth to me. Human beings are the most precious thing on earth to me, and I've gone to great lengths to prove it, right? And so in response to that now, verses one through seven gets very practical for us and tells us as his people, as followers of God, as, as New Testament believers who have placed our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, you and I have a responsibility to protect and steward life. Why? Because life is so sacred to God. It's sacred to him. So that's what we're gonna see, verses one through seven. God, at first, God creates life, and now we're told we care for life. In this section, verses one through seven, God says several things, and they all point to this one truth. Human life is sacred above anything and everything else on earth. Human life is sacred. In fact, God says it's so sacred in verse five that anyone or anything that harms 
human life will be held accountable. Like that's heavy, isn't it? That's pretty deep. Anybody or anything that harms human life is gonna be held accountable, verse five says. Why would he say that? It all hinges on this one huge statement in verse six, and it's this. Because God made humans in his image. God made humans in his image. What does that mean, right? It's an obvious tie to Genesis chapter one where God says, let us make man in our image. What that means is every single human is made in the image of God. Let me first tell you what it doesn't mean. The image of God does not mean that you and I just look like God. It also doesn't mean that maybe God's characteristics or his attributes have been placed inside of you like his, his humor or his uh, creativity or his emotion or his intelligence. And I think maybe that's certainly part of what it means to be made in the image of God, but that's not the fullness of what it means. What it means to be made in the image of God is that God's divine glory rests on every single human being. God has put his stamp on us, or you might say God has sown his name into your collar, right? He's put a stamp on you. Image is not determined by gender, social status, stage of development, political affiliation, country of origin, or even religious beliefs. Every single human being carries God-given dignity and worth simply because they're imagers of God. Simply because they're made in the image of God. And so that's, when you understand that, it does a few things for us. If you're a note taker, I've got three quick things to show you. Understanding the image of God does three quick things for us. First, it changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view yourself. Now, I know, and I've already said that, that our culture and our world doesn't value human life. And maybe you're, you're wondering like, do I matter at all? And so I wanna say something to you and I, I want you to hear it for you, not the person next to you or anything like that, for you. You matter to God. You have value, you have dignity, you have worth, you are loved. And maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great and that sounds good for everyone else, but it can't possibly be true about me because I know me and I know my sinfulness, I know who I am. It is true for you. And it's not even up to you to decide if it's true because God has declared it to be true. One good thing that you do doesn't affect God's value for you just as one bad thing doesn't affect the value that God has for you. Matthew chapter six tells us, the God of all creation has created you in his image. When he looks at you, he sees one of his most prized of all creation. That's what he sees. Are you perfect? Of course not. None of us are, are perfect. But if you wanna know how much God values you and loves you, you have to look no further than the cross of Jesus who Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for you. You have value, you have dignity, you have worth, you matter. God loves you. Understanding the image of God that's been sewn into your collar changes how you view yourself. Secondly, it changes how you view others. It changes how you view others. 
it's true for you, it's true for everybody else. Now, let me just pause for a second because I know it's Sanctity of Life Sunday and this text just happens to fall perfectly in line with, with that. And I know that this conversation, you immediately wanna jump to specific ethical implications of this statement, right? You immediately wanna go, okay, well, so if we're made in the image of God, how does this relate to abortion? How does it relate to war or racism or capital punishment or even euthanasia? Did you know that was a thing, by the way? Euthanasia, like you do to dogs? That's a thing. Canada, 4.1% uh, of their death total last year was, was to euthanasia. Over 13,000 people were euthanized in Canada and it's going up year over year. Switzerland has created these death pods uh, for people to get into, to end their own life or to end the life of a loved one. So euthanasia is a thing as well. But before we jump to the ethical implications, and we're gonna talk about a little bit of that in just a moment, you gotta start with this very important principle, and it's this, every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person. And that's gonna challenge how you view people, right? Because that includes those people who look differently than you. That includes people who think differently, who believe differently, who vote differently than you do. That includes those who are in other parts of the world. That includes those who are less fortunate than you, those who need maybe a little bit more help than you. Every single person is made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis poses some really good thought here for us to wrestle with as people, as, 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 as followers of God, as imagers of God. He, he says we should wrestle through these questions. He asks, have you thought about what it means to live in a society of people made in the image of God? Do you treat people with value? Do they sense you're warm? Do they sense you're interested? Do they sense you're serious about them? Do they feel your love when you talk to them? Do they sense you're trying to size them up to see whether or not you wanna be with them, whether or not this is a good use of your time, or do they sense you're just trying to find out what they need? Listen, every person matters to God. Therefore, every person must matter to us. And I know, I know that culture pushes back on that thought. Culture does not agree with what I just said, that every single person matters to God and must matter to us. February 7th, 2016, one of the greatest days of my entire life. It was Super Bowl 50. My Denver Broncos were playing in the Super Bowl and they won. They were really good that year. They had a guy named Peyton Manning, greatest football player of all time. He was playing on that team and uh, they happened to win, win the Super Bowl. They haven't been back to the playoffs since, but that's okay. I'm still a Broncos fan. Coldplay even did the halftime show. Like it was the greatest day of my entire life, right? In that game, there was something, that in, something interesting that happened, not in the game, but in the commercials. Very popular commercial by Doritos was put out, funny commercial, and uh, it caused some controversy. I want you to watch this commercial. And there's your beautiful baby. Any day now. Really? You're eating Doritos? He's eating Doritos on my ultrasound. Do you see what I have to do? I know. <laughs> 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 
that. It's good stuff, right? <laughs> Anybody want some Doritos now? Yeah. Um, so that, that commercial caused some controversy. Right after the commercial went out, this, uh, this group, NARL, they're a, a national abortion rights lobby group. They said, hashtag not buying it. Uh, the Doritos ad using hashtag anti-choice tactic of humanizing fetuses. Now, this group got mad about a commercial that was in no way directed at them, was in no way uh, it wasn't in about abortion at all. But they got mad because they were, quote, humanizing fetuses. The abortion lobby wants, wants to call that child a fetus in order to use this clinical type of language in order to strip that baby of his or her identity as an image bearer of God. Listen, very clearly, you cannot humanize what God has already declared human. You cannot humanize what God has already said. This is a human made in my image. The Bible speaks very clearly about this. I wanna show you how the Bible responds to that ad and to that tweet. The Bible brings clarity in the chaos of our world in this way. We know 2 Corinthians 3.16 says what? That all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God, it's profitable for us, meaning every page that you hold in your lap is straight from God to you. And this is what God's word says in Psalm 139 verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Now let me ask you, does that sound like a clump of cells? Or does that sound like a human baby made in the image of God? Every person, whether still in the, in the womb or outside of it is made in the image of God. All human life is valuable to God and must be valuable to us. This means that abortion is evil. Racism is evil. Slavery is evil. Sex trafficking is evil. Pornography is evil. Social injustice is evil. Any harm or mistreatment of another human being is evil. And listen, friends, this is not political. It's biblical. These are not political issues. These are image of God issues. Matt Chandler says this, where the image of God is not understood, it is the weak and the vulnerable that are abused and consumed. So let me just ask you, Christian, follower of God, how do you see people? How do you see people? Do you see them as made in the image of God, valuable, worthy of dignity and respect and love. I also know, I'm well aware of the fact that there are probably people in this room who have had an abortion, um, paid for an abortion, supported or encouraged an abortion, 
The medical science monitor did a study that said 64% of post-abortive women in America said that they felt pressured by others to have the abortion. Another study shows us that 44% of women who had an abortion feel deep regret and shame and depression for the choice that they made. And so I know if you're here and you had some kind of part in an abortion or you had one yourself, maybe this morning you're feeling shame and guilt and pain and you're asking, where does this conversation leave me? What I want you to hear is the same truth that is true for you, is true for all of us, that there's grace and there's forgiveness in Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. And, and so this morning, there's grace and there's forgiveness in Jesus. If you're here this morning and maybe you're considering an abortion, can I just say, please don't? That we have resources as, as a church that, that I would love to help you with, that we partner with the Hope Pregnancy Center. We, uh, we, there's, there's other resources for people who have even had an abortion. I would love to set you up and get you the counseling and the, the help that you need. The, uh, adoption is a great option. There's people in the church who would love to adopt that child, but I'm just begging you, please don't go through with it. Every life matters to God and must matter to us. So understanding the image of God, it changes how you view yourself changes how you view others. And third, it changes how you view your purpose. It changes how you view your purpose. Look, we, we've established, right, that, that because human life is so important and so precious to God, that you and I, as God followers, we have a responsibility. A responsibility to protect human life from anything that might harm or weaken it in any way, right? That means that we leverage our voice, our vote, our resources, our time for the unborn, for the homeless, for the refugee, for the guy sitting in a prison cell, for the elderly, and on and on and on it goes. But we've gotta see the biggest danger that every single human faces. Again, Human life matters to God in such a way that you and I as his followers, it must matter to us. And anything that's gonna harm human life, we've got to be willing to step into it. We gotta be willing to protect them from harm. And the greatest harm that you and I face as humans is our sin problem. How do we address it? Verses one and seven of chapter nine, multiply and fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth. That was a calling then to extend life throughout the world. And you and I have the same calling. It's the mission of God. This command in Genesis 9 foreshadows the command of Jesus to his followers, which is what? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. You know it, the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Or maybe it could be said, multiply and fill the earth. Multiply and fill the earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, that is your primary purpose in this life. Your primary purpose is not to find a spouse or find the right job or, or live in the right place and be happy and make money and all. That's not your primary purpose. Your primary purpose is to live on mission for Jesus, multiplying and filling the earth. Why? Because human life is in great danger. 
Human life is in great danger. Sin has distorted the image of God that's in every single person. That mirror that we are that reflects the glory of God has been shattered and broken in some kind of way, and that is going to lead to judgment that's coming one day. Anyone who's caught still in their sin is gonna be judged for it. Yes, God says he's never gonna flood the earth again, but there is a day where judgment is gonna come in the form of fire, Revelation tells us. And you and I have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus, the one who is the perfect image of God, the one who comes to conform us to his perfect image. We have a responsibility to share the good news that Jesus saves and he protects. He protects. So if I could just summarize everything very simply, I would say this. You have value and worth simply because of whose name is sown into your collar and so does everyone else around you. And that fact changes how you and I live. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.